Hello, and welcome to episode 348 of the Crate and Crowbar, a PC gaming podcast being recorded on the 11th of November 2020. I'm Marsh Davis, and I'm joined this evening by Double Toms. <laughs> Tom Francis. <laughs> Hello. And Tom Senior. <laughs> Could we get more Toms on this podcast? Could yes. we? Potentially. There are so many Toms. <laughs> no, nope, so I disagree. Toms. I think that's numerically impossible. We have achieved the maximum amount of toms this podcast can take. We get Tom Bramwell. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> My theory has been disproved in a crushing blow of logic. And Tom Phillips, although I don't know him personally. <laughs> we get, uh, Let's just list toms we know. <laughs> yeah, Tom York, the lead singer of Radiohead, I'm sure he'd come on and give some gaming opinions. <laughs> and those are the three toms. <laughs> That's all of them. That's all of them. <sighs> what's been in the news this week? I'll tell you what's been in the news this week. Okay. Take two of bought Codemasters. For for nearly a billion, isn't it? I mean, that seems... um, it's a billion dollars, so it's seven hundred and fifty nine million pounds. Right. That's a that's, lot. Uh, that's plenty. <laughs> it's plenty, isn't it? <laughs> I, I feel really good for Cody's actually because they've always made like really solid good racing games. Uh, but it always feels yeah. like they've had like mega hits. They've got um they, they, I particularly love their rally games and the idea that Take Two could sort of like perhaps elevate their status, and um, or they might want them to make different games that aren't about cars. Who knows? I think the I did a preview trip to see uh, maybe like a Colin McRae rally game, and it was one of the few times in my career I was completely out of my element, where I just wasn't the right person for right. this trip at all, and I just <laughs> was struggling to find anything that I could sort of relate to or understand about <laughs> a rally game. Like, and the wheels they, are like, good. <laughs> Well, that's it. It seems to me that they didn't... I I feel like the advancements they made that matter are not things they could communicate in a preview trip. You know, we didn't get to play it or anything. Mm. And so the stuff I remember was just them talking on and on about how when mud flicks onto the paintwork, like the different shaders they use to make that look right. And I'm just like, uh, how do I care about this? I, I really, you see, that. I think I must, I must have been on the same trip as you because I remember seizing onto that, like, oh, thank God, they've got mud builder. That's something, <laughs> that's something I can care about. <laughs> complete opposite experiences. If only the the cars had just been completely consumed in mud until they were just big <laughs> mud balls. That'd be uh... Colin McRae's mud balls. <laughs> it's like Katamari yeah. Damacy, but <laughs> rally. <laughs> Yeah, it's got to get your mud ball big enough that you can absorb the other cars as you roll over them. <laughs> You've invented a, a much good better game. sport. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. There you go. I, I also remember they showed off like the deformation of the, the cars, like how they take damage, and the way you, to do that, rather than show it in-game, they were sort of showing it as a tech demo, and uh, they would just fire these like white lozenges at the car <laughs> which is like i now know that is a that's a sort of very capsule colliders are a standard physics thing that you use a lot in video games because they're they're sort of cheap to calculate physics on um but when you don't know that it's bizarre they're just firing at what look like giant pills at <laughs> the cars to show how it like smashes up the wheels and stuff i love that um uh elon musk actually used that technique in real life to try and demonstrate his giant stupid new truck about a year ago <laughs> uh, did he throw giant pills at it someone just threw some sort of pill-shaped rock at the window uh, <laughs> to demonstrate that it was invincible and then it smashed the oh, window yes yes <laughs> i remember this <laughs> and, and then you tried it again and it smashed the window again smashed that's what happens with windows <laughs> that's just what that's how windows do 
Uh, yeah, mm. great stuff. In a tough field, I think Elon Musk may be the least convincing genius we have on this earth. He's <laughs> very good entertainment, though. I think. I mean, I feel like uh, it's proof of like uh, intelligence not being a linear scale, but more like multiple <laughs> different axes where you can be good at some things but a complete dumbass in other ways. <laughs> uh, good. I'm I'm really looking forward to his space flights. Because uh, he put one of his own cars into space, didn't he? Uh, mm. Which is, uh, as PR exercises go, one of the most expensive possible ways of uh, promoting your products. Uh, but yeah, as soon as they put actual humans up there and the humans perhaps start dying, uh, things might change. Also, uh, <laughs> in, in also uh, not video gaming news, but uh, Virgin made a Hyperloop and it's slower than most trains. <laughs> <laughs> so that's been my favorite thing on twitter today uh. weirdly i was watching a um uh, a, uh, a very softly spoken man completely debunk elon musk's loop uh earlier just a, a very a 40 minute video <laughs> about why it's shit it's just wrong yeah <laughs> build a train instead it turns out like oh well, that technology tech exists already it's proven mm. you just need to build it but yes anyway that i found that very entertaining Talking of things that have already been built, um, <laughs> nice. Bioware are um, thanks. <laughs> nice, quite pleased with that short notice segue. Um, yeah, Bioware are remastering uh, Mass Effect and also, uh, predictably enough, making a new one of them. Yeah, the, the remaster is the thing that people have been crying out for for ages. And I didn't really care until they said they are doing it. And then I'm like, wait, I do want that. Because <laughs> I think just it's all going to be like one package, right? All of all three of the games and all the DLC mm. and everything all kind of rolled into one. And I'm definitely, I really fancy a replay of that whole series. But yeah. I bet going back to one is pretty rough these days. I tried it a few years ago and it it's all corridors all the time, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's an extent to which you can get away with brutalist architecture, but there's also an... Uh, a big part of it is just the engine can't do much more than that. So you go through a lot of kind of just, you know, quite gray hallways. Uh, it's still great though. I still like love the vibe of it. I think the writing is still brilliant and the characters, the companions mm. in that series are immense and the way that they develop across the three games is, is fantastic. Yeah. That's the, the real payoff. I think uh, Mass Effect 1, I still uh, agree that like the, um, especially the sort of plot that, narrative structure i guess and like the just the driving force of that plot is was way more compelling than any of the others for me like i was totally just kind of gripped by it and on board from the word go um and really invested in in uh chasing saren uh and then some mm. of the others mass effect 2 especially the the high level plot really failed for me in terms of like why am i working with cerberus and why can't right. i just go back to the alliance and why who are these collectors and and why are they Harvesting, this, this is like the second time in, in three podcasts this has come up. <laughs> Why are they harvesting <laughs> humans to make a giant robot human? <laughs> it's just what they do. It's what villains do. Games. I can't get it. past their stupid plan. <laughs> I think that, um, also I think the moment you sort of meet the Reapers and hear their voice, they lose a lot of their menace. Because they, as Chris has said before, they are just big old lobsters, aren't they? <laughs> <laughs> uh, but nonetheless, actually, I, I love the third game as well, actually. Yeah, me too. Um, I, and I haven't played it since they changed the ending. And I also, uh, to my um, great shame, I never played the Citadel DLC, uh, oh, which I heard was good. really good. Yeah. Yeah, so that would be a really nice opportunity to go back and experience it all in one. Yeah, it's quite. Um, Citadel is quite a sort of soppy send-off for all the friends that you've made along the way. There's a brilliant party scene where you go around and everyone gets drunk. It's, it's just very good. It's just very good stuff. I wonder how that would feel 
just sort of integrated into a single playthrough because a lot of these DLCs mm. you know, came out well after the fact and so you've already played it and Citadel sounds like it, it's designed to sort of uh, to be played after the fact you know you finish the game and you, you sort of go back and experience this because I remember the, the Deus Ex uh, not Mankind Divided uh, Human Revolution the DLC for that uh, the missing link was I really love oh, yeah. it? Um, yeah, it's, it's the great. one that fixed the boss fight, so they figured out how to do a boss fight in proper Deus Ex fashion. Yeah, yeah. And but it really, I think it works great as a standalone thing. I think it's really fucking weird if you put it in the middle of the game because it's like you lose all your orgs. That's and, right. And that's right. Sort of have to reset your progress track just for this bit, and then I guess you wake up again. I don't even know how it works. When you wake up again in the main campaign, I assume you get all your old orgs back to you. Yeah, that's exactly how it works. And also, you lose your trench coat, and then your trench coat. <laughs> magically reappears once you complete the DLC and go back into the main game. Uh, so yes, it's a quite a strange one. It's, it's a great bit of DLC though. I really enjoyed that campaign. Yeah. Do you know if they're um, are they sort of mechanically zhuzhing up Mass Effect One? They said something to the effect of like we're not looking to re remake it, uh, but to sort of give it some sort of make it look nicer and uh, tart it up basically. So they sort yeah. of downplayed the, how yeah. how much differences we can expect. Hmm. So do you think the combat will be the same as it was in Mass Effect 1 Yeah, that's taking the model? Seems like That's the worry, I think, because that's the thing that got really way better with Mass Effect 2 and I think got better again in Mass Effect 3. Um, mm. uh, they got really good at making combat in that game. I really like... Another thing I loved that they sort of... They came into along the way was the class system. Um, that, I think, got better with every iteration. Like, Mass Effect oh, 2 yeah. is the one that made every class work and be fun. I played Vanguard in that, which is like... I love Vanguard. I think it's... Yep. Biotic and combat, is it? Um, it's the one that lets the, you their main ability. Teleport. Yeah, you sort of dash into things and, and send them flying. Oh, yeah. And uh, Thane's chapter, where you're sort of going through like a high-rise uh, oh, complex yeah. in a, in a yeah. sci-fi city. Not, knocking people off the edge of that building was so fucking fun. <laughs> gotcha. Yeah. And then Mass Effect 3 that. had this really nice... Um, had a really nice system where they sort of let you customize classes so that you could take... Um, it was like the more weapons you take, the slower your abilities recharge. So mm. there's a really nice like trade-off there where you could, um, uh, you know, decide to have ver like travel very light, just take a pistol or something. Then all your abilities are going to be super fast cooldowns. Um, or if you want to load up on heavy weapons, then uh, you're going to be able to use your abilities less often. That just worked really well for me. Really underrated multiplayer modes in two and three as well. Uh, mm. had fantastic fun playing sort of co-op against it's basically horde mode stuff but it's the fact that you could unlock characters including a bolus which is kind of like tiny sort of mole man and oh, yeah. the animation for his dodge roll is just like <laughs> absolutely it's just watching an egg just sort of like <laughs> spin sideways about two meters uh, and it, I, I could never get over how good that was <laughs> that does sound great can you play an Elcor? Uh, sadly not. Um, though, <laughs> amazingly, in the law, uh, the way that Alcors fight is that they are—they're basically sloths, um, but they could—they basically mount rocket launchers on their backs and then oh, just, right. <laughs> they're, they're mobile artillery, basically, apparently, um, based on some codex entries I read. And I don't know why I still know that, given that I played this game <laughs> ten years ago. <laughs> just think of all the things in life you forgot, but that one's. I know. <laughs> just for that, for that piece of knowledge, all of the language I learned at secondary school. Spanish is gone, <laughs> but alcohol combat techniques. <laughs> There's ever a military context in which you need to know that information. <laughs> it could be life saving. I could be deployed. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> that no, they're alcohols. They can't dodge roll. <laughs> they're going to come out of artillery. 
<laughs> they could just sort of lie, lie down. You've got to keep them in the back. You've got to keep them in the back. Thank God you're here, Tom Senior. They'll say all the general, all the four star generals will turn to you. It's like, well, like you know, here. like if someone gets a bit ill on an aeroplane and someone shouts, like it's a doctor uh, on the plane. Like th- there might be a moment where I'm required to stand up and, and deliver my Elcor knowledge, of military tactics to save the day. Is there a law nerd on this plane? <laughs> Everyone raises their hand. <laughs> all games journalists travel together <laughs> he still died of that peanut things. allergy but he knew a lot about more Elcor as he went <laughs> <laughs> yeah he sure knew about the, the history and culture of the species of the volus cool. <laughs> he finally he what it that, looks like when they stud troll <laughs> he took that into the afterlife with him uh, godspeed <laughs> <laughs> no stay with me damn it you've got to know what it looks like when an egg does a stud troll <laughs> The last words recorded in the black box as they <laughs> they pull it out of the ocean. It's the pilot who's got the allergy. Uh, Only they could have dodge rolled the plane away from that mountain. <laughs> Anyone excited about new Mass Effect? The last uh, one dodge. Yeah, like uh, I guess cautiously interested. <laughs> It sounds like it doesn't really exist yet. It's going to be a long time before we actually ever see it. But also, they're probably going to have to redo the entire premise, given that Andromeda was not terribly well received. Yeah, That's, I mean, really, it's yeah. about like, have they fixed their their company? Because <laughs> that right, right yeah, sort of expose of how Andromeda happened. Um, even like though I know, you know, I, I quite liked most of what I played of Andromeda. I know Chris is a fan. Um, but even given all that, the actual process sure sounds awful. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the terrible phrase, find the fun, uh, when you've mm. got like a lot of employees working extremely hard. It's like, you probably find the fun quite early on, shouldn't you, before <laughs> plowing on with this yeah. enormous uh, AAA project. <laughs> um, yeah. Yes, there's always room for more Mass Effect in my heart. I love that series. Yeah. You had a bit of extra uh, gaming news, didn't you, Tom Francis? <laughs> uh, is this the Mountain Goats thing? <laughs> yes, if you want to. <laughs> okay, good. Yes. The check really this is real news. It's real news. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, John, I'm going to take a stab at the pronunciation. John Danielle of the Mountain Goats, the singer of the Mountain Goats, which is a band I like. Um, uh, just a, a weird little... Uh, fact i have in my head is that he likes magic the gathering because when and i don't know enough about magic the gathering so if anyone knows the answer to this tell me um he made mythic is is how he puts it and i don't really know what that means it sounds like like making platinum in starcraft or something um like it's a league or something maybe but it sounds like he's hit some major milestone in his magic the gathering playing career and he sang a little song about it just with his guitar um and the song is really funny because uh it's um uh just talking about Magic the Gathering mechanics in a very uh, in a way that I don't understand. Like he's using loads of jargon terminology, but also he's basically saying his deck is total bullshit and it's just horrible to play <laughs> against. <laughs> and uh, that was just a little cute little detail that endeared me to the Mountain Goats. And I googled it to try and uh, find the song for a friend. And what I discovered is that uh, there is a Magic the Gathering card called Mountain Goat. The Mountain Goat is a unit in Magic the Gathering <laughs> that you can deploy. <laughs> and it can let me see it. it's converted mana cost is one it uses red mana um mm. it's legal in legacy it's legal in commander it's legal in vintage it's legal in jewel it's legal in pauper <laughs> pauper it's in the ice age that? set I, I don't know what pauper is but that's a link this is like 
this is information Google gives me, like a breakdown when I search for Mountain Goats Magic the Gathering. Uh, it's It has like uh, a legality section in the sort of info card. And I can even click on Pauper and find out what that is. Um, oh, Google doesn't know. But I think it's all cards must have been printed at common rarity in a magic set or product. So right. Mountain Goats Common, I think, is what, what it's saying. It's definitely common if it's one red man. Yeah. <laughs> You're telling me. <laughs> I totally understand that. <laughs> Uh, it has mountain walk, which means it can't be blocked as long as the defending player controls a mountain. <laughs> that means like it's jumping from the mountain to attack. <laughs> I don't know. That's because goats are flipping awesome at mountains. Have you seen those things? Yeah. Extraordinary. Yeah. I don't really understand it. It seems like I remember thinking, you know, that that theory that, that sort of because um, there are an infinite number of parallel universes for any given thing you can imagine. There's a universe out there that's exactly like ours, but that one thing is different. I feel like the fact that mount that goats are good at climbing mountains is the weird thing in our universe. <laughs> like somewhere else, there's the standard universe, and that's not at all true because it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> <laughs> but they sort of, again, we're getting away from video games, and the reason is, is, <laughs> there's no news. Um, so, uh, yeah, just you see them standing on what appears to be like a sheer, almost vertical cliff face, mm-hmm. and they're just like quite casually there chewing something. And yeah, like, and with like hooves, what? which don't, they're not like yeah. flexible, they can't grip things. Like, why? <laughs> yeah, they don't have like and that's... miniature claws on them, like uh, some animals. Yes. Spiders. Yeah, yeah. That's a different universe. <laughs> <laughs> Good God, they're a horrifying one. <laughs> Clawed spider goats. <laughs> uh, oh, no. You've just invented a new Magic the Gathering card there, Tom. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes, that should be in it. That would cost yeah. two red mana, at least. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a bit, yeah, a bit better than the goats. They eat the goats. Um, that's. Uh, I love the fact that uh, we're in a period where two new next-gen consoles are coming out and the news that we've chosen to discuss <laughs> of everything we could have talked about is this. Uh, but absolutely no regrets. We made the right decision. It's not even it's new. Like Neither of these things happened recently. This is a while back. Oh. <laughs> that's how Crate and Crowbar does news. Like, we're barely at the cutting edge. That should be our tagline. <laughs> Bare, barely at the cutting edge. <laughs> July thirtieth oh, is when this news happened. <laughs> well, we did. We failed to talk about it then, and I'm glad we've rectified that. I think we've done a, a fine job here this evening. <laughs> a great injustice has been has been it's solved. Rectified, absolutely. <sighs> what have we been playing, Tom Francis? I have been playing Watch Dogs Legion, um, which is a game I was pretty excited about. It's um, uh, the Watchdog series is a GTA with hacking, and uh, the, the twist on this one is that you can play as anyone. Um, I every NPC walking around the city is not an NPC because you can play as them uh, by walking up to them and starting recruitment. And when you do that, uh, basically they will say, um, "Oh, are you dead sec, right? I got a problem. Let, please go and like investigate some terminal somewhere." <laughs> And then you do that, and then there's another job, and then you do the other job, and then they work for you. And that means you can play as them. Um, and I guess like the first thing to say about it is that it's a uh, it's an ambitious concept, and I'm glad that they uh, took it on. But it does mean that you spend all of your time playing, thinking how it could be better, because <laughs> you just kind of hmm. you know there's nine million people in the city. You can play as any of them. There isn't really any chance that they've done justice to that promise it's it's kind of the no man's sky thing where you sort of you you throw out a concept out there that's so tantalizing um that the players or the the, um the audience's brain jumps to 
all sorts of conclusions and, and extrapolations from that that broad concept and fills in details that actually the game itself is not going to flesh out in the way uh, that each individual person is hoping they will because it's too vague and everyone's going to imagine their own thing like what does a playable character mean you know in some games that means they have their own story um in some games that would mean uh that there's a whole skill tree to upgrade with them and stuff and neither of those things are true here um as and you have to sort of just when they were talking about this i was always kind of waiting for the other foot to drop or the shoe to drop like thinking oh, okay well what you've just said can't be true <laughs> so what have you done <laughs> like you haven't literally made nine million playable characters you've done some kind of formulaic thing to you know ensure that any given uh, combination of of traits and perks and stuff um works and uh everyone has a voice you know everyone speaks um uh in vo when uh, during missions and so you, d you don't have nine million voices and the first like concrete thing we got out of it uh that made it seem more, more real was that there's actually i think it's 20 personas um which is to say i think they have fewer than 20 different voice actors for the for protagonists but each voice actor has done multiple different sort of takes on that person persona and that's uh, they seem to sort of, they didn't open with that, right? That came out months up into the marketing campaign and this sort of felt like a concession of like, okay, we've got to give some specifics because the vagueness thing is, is um, uh, I certainly wasn't buying it. <laughs> um, and that made it more exciting to me. Like if you tell me something that I can believe in, then I'm more interested in this game. And anyway, that it, when you play it, it's even more impressive that, that they have that many different um, personas for the player character because the player character is, there's a whole story campaign, um, even though there isn't a single protagonist, um, there's a whole story campaign in which the protagonist speaks and has conversations with people and they don't know who you're playing as. You could be playing as any one of those 20 different personas um, slash 9 million people. Um, and so they had to voice the, the reactions to every single thing. And they are, I believe they are more than just, they're, they're script changes as well as just, it's not the same line delivered by a different voice because these personas are, um, uh, I actually think that a lot of the VO is very good. I think there are a lot of these voices. There are some that are kind of painful, um, but uh, most of the ones I've heard sound like they actually are British or in some cases Scottish or um, from wherever they're, they're supposed to be from. Um, and some of them are just, just feel very recognizable and feel very, they don't feel like an outsider's impression of a British person. Some of them do. And one of my problems with it is that a huge number of them are very posh. <laughs> like I would say more than half of my characters that I've recruited have very posh voices and a variety of different, very posh voices, it's not the same voice, voice uh, performance. Um, it's just that there are a lot of posh people in my squad for some reason. And actually the main person giving you missions has quite a, a sort of posh voice. And that feels slightly at odds. That feels like a, you know, the stereotype of of brits outside of britain is um that half of them speak like prince charles <laughs> um but yeah it's you do basically i've been having fun with it i have um i found it very addictive um i played it quite intensively um and it works best when you are doing something uh that you've decided to do when it's player directed stuff and recruiting people is like that you can um uh scan anybody find out what traits they have and you might decide that traits looks interesting to me so i'm going to recruit this person and the traits are things like um 
Uh, one that comes up a lot is tough drunk, which is completely useless. It just means that when they're drunk, they take less melee damage. <laughs> it's like, how often <laughs> am I drunk and being punched? <laughs> like, I can make that happen if I want to, but it's not like an advantageous tactic, really. Um, and uh, other things like, oh, this one is a skilled investor. And so that means while they're on your squad, you get more money from everything that gives you money. Um, and you can get on to have a certain uniform. Like if they are a construction worker, then they wear a construction, they have a construction uniform that they can, you can either wear that or you can wear their casual clothes. And while they're wearing the construction uniform, you're allowed into any building site. And um, it kind of turns into Hitman at that point where you can't get too close to the guards because they'll get suspicious, but you can walk through all the security sensors and stuff because you're basically authorized to be there. Um, my first experience with it was kind of uh, not great because one of the big questions is like, it's not just voice acting, it's if there's if every one of those 9 million people, you can walk up to them and there's a there's a recruitment mission to get them on your side. What are those missions? How do you make 9 million of those or, or 18 million? Because they you know, usually have to do two missions to recruit somebody. Um, and the first one I did, the first thing I did in the game is I was walking around, I saw, I saw a building site that was a restricted area. And so I scanned one of the, the uh, guys in, in a construction uniform and uh, I his traits were that he has the construction uniform, which means he can get into these areas. And also he has like a pet cargo drone and cargo drones are the big ones that you can stand on. So basically you hack one of those and uh, or if you have a pet one, you don't need to hack it. Uh, you remote control it over to you, you climb onto it, then you go back to remote controlling it, and now you can just fly up to the roof of a building or whatever. Um, so I wanted to recruit this guy, and I talked to him, and he says that um, at his last job, he was chemically burned, and he wants me to look into it. Um, and so that, in practical terms, that means basically go to another restricted area somewhere in the world, get to a server, and download some details of, of what happened at his last job. Wait, sorry, um, Tom. Um, when he when he says chemically burned, does that mean he like he just got smack talked to death, or is this an actual <laughs> like a terrible uh, employment error? <laughs> I think he's talking about uh, actual chemicals. Um, oh, so he's, and... like, he's like the Joker from the, the first Batman film. Yeah, uh, yeah. There was no visual burning on him. Uh, <laughs> I, <laughs> uh, it's it was. Basically, the gist of it was that I should investigate this company and find out. He thought that it was happening to other people as well. Like, this is the reason to look into it. It's not just to find out uh, right. for his sake. Okay. It's to prevent it happening to anybody else. A mystery. And so I go to a server and I hack it and I um, learn where, basically, it boils down to your annoying AI sidekick Bagley says, oh, it turns out that um, the nasty chemical that they were dealing with is in this crate in this other restricted area. And so you go to the other restricted area and you get to the crate. The crate is this... I'm going to describe this because it will come up <laughs> several times. The crate is like a, like a very flat coffin-shaped thing uh, on the ground. So it's very low, um, quite wide, a bit wider than a coffin, but that kind of shape. And it's in a very heavily guarded Albion area. Albion are the private military corporation that have sort of taken over London um, and have you know tanks in the streets and stuff. Um, and... I'm very under-equipped because it's right at the start of the game, but I sneak past some turrets and I, I get close to this this crate and I don't see any way to destroy it. Like I was expecting like an interact option to sort of sabotage it in some way, but there's nothing like that. You can't interact with it. All I've got is the standard dead set pistol, which is like a taser pistol. It sort of fires this electric round. And so I try shooting it with that. Uh, despite being a taser, that like alerts everybody in a two block radius. Like the police are immediately after me. Like that is a treated as a full volume gunshot, even though it doesn't sound like that. And also it doesn't look like a, um, 
a gunshot. And also it doesn't seem to hurt the crate in any way. There's no sort of reaction from the crate. It just uh, fizzles out. And so I try shooting it like one more time and nothing happens at all. I can't see any way to damage the crate. And so I end up just having to flee the area. I get out alive, but I have not destroyed the crate. And so I'm starting to realize I need a gun. Um, and uh, I carefully sort of snuck up on a guard, took them out, found someone with a gun, um, uh, took them out and then discovered I can't pick up the gun. I don't know why it doesn't say, it just doesn't come up as an interactable object. So I can't take guns from anybody. Um, and so I sort of deduce that, oh, I guess like a gun is like a character trait because when you scan people, they'll have a gun uh, listed as if it's a character trait, like all the other stuff that they have. Um, and so I basically patrol the streets. You can like, technically you could recruit any guard. I can't recruit the guard I just beat up because once you beat somebody up, they hate you. <laughs> and so fair enough, you can't recruit them. You can never win them over after that point. Um, but uh, normal guards have like a, a standard dislike of dead sec, so they're harder to recruit. You have to do more missions to get them on your side. Um, but uh, I just scanned civilians until I found somebody who had a, just a, uh, it's like a, a lady in a suit with very sort of stern looking glasses um, who just happens to own an MP4. <laughs> um, that's her character trait, she owns an MP4. <laughs> um, and so I scanned her and I um, talked to her and started a recruitment mission for her. And she said, oh, at my last job, I was fired. And the weird thing was they fired everybody all on the same day, even though all of us have been doing a good job. And I've moved on with my life and everything's fine with me, but I just can't get this out of my head. And I want someone to look into it and find out why this, this happened. And what do you know, that turns into going to a restricted area and hacking a server to find out what happened. Um, I, go to, I do that. I find the restricted uh, server. I hack it. And then Bagley, uh, the AI guy, says, um, he sort of processes the data you download. You send it to him, and he interprets it and tells you what's going on. And he says, oh, it turns out what's going on is they introduced an AI to re replace everybody and replace everyone's jobs. Um, but good news, the, the AI is in this crate <laughs> in this other restricted area. <laughs> <laughs> like, wait, really? The AI is just like in a box? <laughs> uh, and so I sneak into this other restricted area, which is uh, kind of a cool space, actually. It's like a under, there's like a mall and the lower floor of the mall is a restricted area, but it's also on the river. So instead of like a street between the shops, there's water between the shops. Um, I don't know if this place is real. I'd be curious um, if this exists. But uh, I go there, I sneak past all the guards and the drones and hack some turrets and get to the, the fucking AI thing. And it's the exact same crate. <laughs> like it's, it's that low, flat, coffin-shaped thing, thing <laughs> that I have no way of interacting with in any way. Um, and uh, this time I just... I decide, fuck it, I'm going to take out everyone in this whole area. I, I, you know, I've been doing it stealthily before now, and now I sort of slowly uh, take people out as best I can stealthily, and then I get caught by a drone, and so it becomes an all-out fight, and I just kind of take cover and, and gun everybody down um, with my, my dead sec taser pistol, because I still haven't recruited anybody at this point. <laughs> I'm still trying to uh, get anything done. Um, and once everybody is, is unconscious, and it's all, uh, I've got free roam with the area, I investigate this crate more, more properly and I still don't find, you know, I try shooting it again, doesn't have any effect, can't pick any, up anyone's gun, still can't interact with it, can't find any like computer terminal nearby that might sort of remotely destroy it. And eventually I just try pressing the punch button, which just like, it doesn't punch the crate. You just sort of punch above the crate, like as if you're attacking a full height human being, but that breaks the crate. <laughs> and oh, uh, then that wins the recruitment mission and I get the, the lady who has an assault rifle oh. and then I use the lady with the assault rifle to go back to the other restricted area and just like climb a high building and shoot the crate from, from a distance because I can't be bothered to infiltrate the whole place again uh, and that gets me the construction guy and now I've got both of them so 
that whole system of sort of generating missions, or I wouldn't even call it generating really. It's more like um, a pre-written quest where the actual specific location of the server you're going to have to hack is randomized. Um, but it, it doesn't, this isn't like generating an instance for you to go to. This is the, the open world of London has only a certain number of restricted areas that are, you know, pre-authored and pre-built. Uh, it's got loads of them, so um, it's not too restrictive. But the quest generating system seems to basically pick a pre-written quest, assign it to a pre-made restricted area, and then you go in and, and you, you break into it. And punch a coffin. And, yeah, and punch a coffin. <laughs> Since then, I have to say, that's not it's not like every mission it involves punching a coffin that has a, an <laughs> AI in it. <laughs> like, we put the AI in the box. Um, there are some where you have to sort of take out somebody or get close to them and hack them, which is kind of fun. Um, and... Yeah, they're not they're not too repetitive, but it does feel like they sort of they try and dress up something that is very formulaic as if it's not very formulaic, and that only works like the first time that you get that mission. The second time, somebody also got fired from their job, and everyone else got fired from their job, and they moved on with their life, but they're still hung up on this thing, and they want you to investigate it. And when you investigate it, it turns out it was an AI. Like, there's no facade or pretense at that point. Like, the 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 veil has fallen. This is a uh, you can't do that mission twice. It's way too specific. Um, and so I kind of think they could have done more generic missions like that. Like if it has to be generic and it's going to be repeated, don't make it too specific and don't make it too like voice acted because right, yeah. having that repeat is worse than it just being super vague in the first place. On the topic of uh, dodgy accents, which it sounds like this game does reasonably well, I would like to recommend to everyone the trailer for Wild Mountain Time. Oh, no. <laughs> starring Emily Blunt, Jane, uh, Jamie Dornan, uh, Christopher Walken, and John Hamm, and just watch the trailer. It's it's a roller coaster. <laughs> it's a roller coaster <laughs> of disastrous uh, uh, disastrous accents, and also just just horribly old, tired rom com cliches. Uh, it's a it's sort of a work of art, and I've no need to watch the film. I just I'll watch the trailer again for a laugh. <laughs> <laughs> They, the thing I found myself wanting playing this is, uh, this is what I was saying at the start, is like you spend all of your time wishing it, it did more or went further or built on these ideas. It's really, more than any other game I can think of, it's crying out for a sequel. Like It really needs a second stab at this now that they've figured out the basics. Um, and I don't know if it'll get it because it has been a bit of a mixed reception. It's got a lot of like sixes and sevens in the reviews. Um, I don't know how it's sold, but... Um, uh, obviously, if this doesn't seem like it's landed commercially, then it's unlikely they'll do the same gimmick for the next one. Um, but it'd be a shame if that's true, because um, what you really find yourself wanting is is for some kind of like relationships between these people and uh, some way to invest in them. Like the game really tries to persuade you not to play with permadeath. <laughs> like permadeath was that was part of the original concept that I as I understood it was that these people could die and you can run out of people and you can lose the game because you, all your people died. Um and then when you start the game it, it tell, asks you up front, hey uh permadeath is off by default. Do you want to turn it on? And then even if you do turn it on, it doesn't take effect for the first like four hours of the game. There's like a long tutorial kind of period where uh they won't let anybody die. Because even for the there's a very short tutorial at the start where you're playing as a, as a pre-written character, and then most of the tutorial you're playing as whoever you, you chose. Um, you kind of start with a single recruit. Um, and that person can't die for that whole tutorial series. In fact, no one can die for that whole, uh, that whole tutorial series. 
And then after that, they sort of warn you, okay, now, now permadeath really is on. But then even then, I multiple times, I, I got somebody mown down by assault rifles and they just kind of wake up in hospital and they're fine. Um, and so it seems to be like each time you get taken out, there's a chance your character could die. Um, and it's weird because, I mean, it really feels like they did some play tests and there are some people who absolutely threw a fit at the permadeath thing. Like, I'm willing to bet there's there is a few testers who ran out of recruits unexpectedly and were just like, this game is bullshit, I'm never playing it again. Um, and so they're, they're so careful not to not to push that on you. Like, so it, it really is, seems to be trying to tell you, don't play with permadeath unless you're really, really sure. But to me, that's the whole point. Like, if I can't, if there's no permadeath, then they all just become... Like, why not just play as my best guy all the time? You know, and unfortunately there is kind of a best guy. Like there is, there isn't enough. This is another thing I want to go further in is like, I wish when I was given a mission, I had some reason to pick a particular recruit for that mission. And so the very thin version of that is that, oh, if you're going to a clan Kelly area, which is like this gang you're fighting and you have a clan Kelly recruit, then sure, players that can kind of recruit because they they have the uniform so they can walk in. And as long as they don't get too close to guards, then that will be easier for you. And that's okay. That's fine. But it's very, um, uh, what's the word? Like absolute. It's just because you're going to this area, you must pick this recruit. Um, or there's no reason not to. You'd be crazy not to. Um, and everything outside of that is just, well, it's really just whoever's best at combat because not that the game devolves into combat all the time, but hacking and stealth, um, you almost always do that with a spider bot. And a spider bot is a thing that you can any of your recruits can use. Everyone has a gadget slot, and what you slot into there is not unique to that character. In fact, um, it can't be unique to that character. It's only stuff that is generic to all of your dead set recruits. And the two starting options are a spider bot or a cloaking device. Um, and the spider bot is uh, infinitely better. And it solves all problems <laughs> and because uh, you're always standing outside a restricted area you can throw a spider bot over the fence into that restricted area nobody really notices it very easily uh when you remote control it you can then sneak around unseen you can hack almost everything in the game you can hack with a spider bot there's, there's only like a couple on story missions there might be an elevator you've got to reach and you've got to physically get to it but um things like hacking a, a panel to unlock all the doors in the area you can do that with a spider bot Things like um, getting a key card from somebody. Well, it's not really a key card. It's like a key code. So you, you just hack that from a distance with a spider bot. Um, hacking you know, turrets, enemy drones. You can do that all that with a spider bot. Even when it's something you have to physically pick up, like tech points, these are the, the upgrade currency in the game, the kind of the most important resource. You can just pick that up with a spider bot. And even like a safe that you have to open and get physically get something out of, you can do that with a spider bot. And the spider bot can also stealth kill. So if you get up to anyone unaware, they can just jump on them and like do a face hugger move and tase them in the face, and that's just like a standard ability of spider bots that you can that they can do right from the off, um, which is really powerful. And then even if they catch the spider bot, one of the hacks that you can always do is is to kind of um, dis distract or disrupt somebody. So if they haven't seen you, you can distract them, and that means they won't see you, and you can stealth kill them. Uh, if they do see you, and you've got the disrupt upgrade, which is like a global thing, all of your recruits and all of your drones can do. Um, then even after they spotted you, you can still just disrupt them and then that lets you do a stealth kill on them. <laughs> and they can, once you do upgrade the stealth, uh, sorry, once you do upgrade the spider bot, it can cloak and it can double jump and it can sprint so it moves too fast for everybody to see. <laughs> and this just kind of, it breaks the whole game really because now recruits don't matter. It doesn't matter what the traits of my character is because spider bots 
uh, what you actually spend your time using if you want to do anything stealthy. And so what I was saying earlier is, is that I end up picking the best recruit to pick is the one who's best at combat because the recruit is irrelevant unless the stealth fails in some way with a spider bot, something goes wrong, somebody sees you you know, face hugging somebody and uh, then there's, uh, they call reinforcements and it breaks out into a fight and they do, once they discover a spider bot, they're pretty quick to sort of shoot you when they see you. They don't know for sure that it's you, but sort of they get ultra suspicious. Um, and so the only time your recruit matters is when that happens when the, in the worst case scenario. And at that point, you just need someone with a fucking gun because you're just going to have to mow everybody down. Um, and it's such a missed opportunity. Like why, why isn't proficiency with bots something that can vary per character? Like I think the ability to remote control a spider bot to climb up someone's leg, grapple onto their face and tase them to unconsciousness should be something that only some characters can do. Like it, it, it's weird that everybody knows how to do that. And it's way too powerful if everybody can do that. And the ability to cloak your spider bot, that's just a global upgrade you get. It applies to everybody. Um, and it's super powerful. Um, and so again, why do I, why does it matter who I'm playing as if the spider bot just solves everything? And then on top of that, there's a whole bunch of things where you literally have to use a spider bot. There's like special vents that can only be accessed by spider bots. So even if you thought of a clever way to do this, that even if you're determined to not use the spider bot for everything, sometimes they just force you to use a spider bot. And in case you didn't take the spider bot, they like people's houses will just have a fucking spider bot dispenser <laughs> next to the spider bot only vent. <laughs> it's just for fuck's sake. Like, why didn't you just play the mission for me? Like if you just have to dictate that this is exactly how I must yeah. do it. It sounds like they could have given um, the spider bot a cockney accent and then just be done with the rest <laughs> of the game. <laughs> that is the true protagonist that should be on the, the cover of the game. Just a little spider bot. The, the, the rebel spider bot that you get, uh, that doesn't come out of the spider bot dispenser. Um, <laughs> is is sort of graffitied up to make it look like you know resistance spider bot (laughs) but it's still just a fucking spider bot uh best spider bots in games uh i don't know if you guys ever played galapagos which was a kind of Mm -hmm. ai training game where you had to try and guide uh an ai entity through a series of platforming puzzles but no matter what you did uh the spider bot remained a flipping idiot and would never actually, you know, accomplish anything that you wanted it to do. But if anyone wants to go back into the archives to find a good spider bot, then that's that's a PC gaming one for sure. <laughs> I would love to read a, an article on the a sort of history of spider bots through the ages in video games because I remember them. They were in Crusader No Remorse was the first game I played with that, and huh. where that game had tank controls, uh, I think, or very weird keyboard controls anyway. And control, remote controlling a spider bot was always this like high stakes thing because they blew up the second they hit anything. And they couldn't stop running, I think. You just had to steer them. <laughs> like They were going <laughs> to run at full speed. And you just had to like, hope you didn't bump into a wall before you bumped into the people you wanted to blow up. It's like those hens from um, Splunky 2. Not hens. Cockles. Oh, yeah. Turkeys. They? Turkeys, that's it. Yeah, <laughs> they keep going until they explode or die. <laughs> um, like, explode or die is not actually <laughs> an opposition. <laughs> The only way I can live is if I explode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that there were little glimmers of of cool stuff with the the roster of recruits, where um, sometimes one of your recruits will get kidnapped, and this is totally outside of your control. This is just one you're not playing as will will suddenly be abducted, and you have to go and rescue them. And that's immediately cooler than any other mission you do because this is. The stakes here are something that's unique to me. It's it's this character, and how much I care about that character is uh, going to vary depending on who got abducted. And so, um, 
Uh, sometimes it's it's I have a cool like spy lady she got uh, abducted and that made me super invested in rescuing her and making sure the, the job didn't go wrong um, and being very cautious of like I'm not gonna they're handcuffed and as soon as you uncuff them they're gonna follow you around and so I'm not gonna uncuff them until I've totally secured the area because I really care about keeping this person alive and that's a level of investment that's way higher than than anything in, in the story missions um, the story missions unfortunately involve a lot of remote controlling drones I I thought I was going to give up on the whole main campaign at one point because it um, forces you. There's a bit of Spider-Bot stuff where you got to make it through these like moving laser grids, you know, like kind of like a heist movie. But um, uh, if you touch any of them, it doesn't. Uh, it basically just resets your progress. Like the the door locks, and you've got to go back to the start and do it all again. And there's like six of these different patterns of laser grids and i, I was failing the first one like 70 percent of the time <laughs> and each one gets harder afterwards you have to sort of jump over them while they're moving and it's really unclear where your hitbox is and what's going to trigger it and also it's just like transparent lasers on top of transparent lasers on top of transparent lasers so it's really hard to see what's going on um i eventually that became less annoying when i realized the cloak facility that i have on my spider bot actually works for those lasers so i can just cloak and run through it all uh but then the next thing is you control these tiny little drones and there's always really arbitrary fail states of um god i really hate like wind in games <laughs> where there's, there's like fans that blow you into the wall but it's really hard to read which bits of the air is moving here because in real life you wouldn't see it at all and in, in the game they try and give it like a sort of gust effect but it's really blurry and sort of doesn't fulfill doesn't fill the whole area that, that is actually um affected and so you've got to sort of guess where the geometry is technically blocking that airflow and then you die to the next bit because the room is orange and you shouldn't move into the room when it's orange because that apparently I was supposed to understand that means the room is incredibly hot and it will incinerate my drone. And so now I've got to go back and I've got to do the vent thing again. And that's a huge pain in the ass. That's not how vents, lasers or rooms work. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So so gamey, <laughs> so weird. Yeah, um, it is a shame. Is there anything good about it? <laughs> it doesn't sound yeah, like Yeah, I do so realize bad. I've... Um, I think just... I do much prefer having my own my own choices. You know, people I chose... I, I'm often choosing people just because they look cool, like they're just wearing cool clothes. And I think, oh man, I really want to like, play as that person just because they seem cool. Um, and that's really rewarding. And I feel really invested in those characters when I play as them. Uh, I definitely have really strong feelings about different characters in my roster. Like that spy lady is super cool and I love her. Um, I also have, uh, I recruited this um, this Clan Kelly gangster who is wearing, Clan Kelly, like, have their elite troops have these really scary, like, balaclava masks and goggles and um, these red and gold trench coats. And they they have, like, really nutty devices, like, um, homing bomb drones. And the one I got is, like, to throw out a secondary spider bot, which just has a little turret that zaps people, and it's really powerful. And she also she has that and a light machine gun, so she's absolutely armed to the teeth. Uh, my best combat unit by far. But then her voice is this really like chirpy, sort of happy-go-lucky voice that <laughs> seems really like game for everything, and is like um, is a super good person. Like whenever you recruit somebody, they turn out to be a super, like, an absolute saint because it turns out their personal quest will be like, I saw some some gosh darn crime and and i want to go and investigate it and and uh, get these scoundrels, <laughs> and so you help them with that. Um, and yeah, she she was wanted wanted me to the, my recruitment mission for her was to go and like chase down some Clan Kelly people. Like she'd 
found that Clan Kelly were doing some crimes. <laughs> like she is a gangster in the Clan Kelly gang. And the fact that they were doing some crimes was news to her and she wanted me to go and fix it. And that let, let me recruit her. And so she became one of my favorites because she's super powerful and also just her attitude is really a, an amusing clash with uh, her whole personality. And then another one, I was on a story mission right in the kind of bowels of an Albion facility, really heavily guarded. And there's these two elite guards in the final room of this mission. And you've got to solve this really elaborate hacking puzzle while, well, they're in the room. So you've either got to take them out or you've got to uh, try and do it without them spotting you. And I took the first one out. And then the second one, when I scanned them, I thought, shit, this person has like a, a personal cloak as their gadget, which means that's in addition to whatever gadget you give them. So A, they could have cloak and spider gadget, or I could give them the cloak and then they've got two cloaking devices. Um, and they've got a really good weapon and they, they're sort of dressed in armor and they look really cool. And so I decided I'm not going to kill this person because if I, or even if I non-lethally take them out, they will always know it's dead second that you can never recruit them after that point. So I decided I'm not going to take them out. And then at some point when you complete the hacking puzzle, uh, immediately like 13 enemy troops just flood into the place and you, you're forced into a combat situation. Um, and I tried to hide and like uh, do stealth takedowns on some of these people, but I got cornered by the one I wanted to recruit and I thought, shit, I just, I can't attack you because I really want to recruit you. Probably the most interesting like set of abilities that I've seen on a recruit. Um, I've bookmarked you <laughs> and I, uh, my only priority is I don't want you to, to hate me. And so I just kind of let my character die. I just let her mow me down. <laughs> it's the one I was playing as. <laughs> I didn't really care about that much. Uh, and then just, uh, it failed the mission. I'm, you know, lost all my progress on the whole mission, lost the recruit permanently. Um, but I had bookmarked this really interesting recruit and I went off and recruited them. And of course, as always, they had this like, oh, I, I think there might be a drug dealer over here and I want you to, to stop them or, or whatever, um, <laughs> which is very weird for this like absolute, like she looks like a fucking robot skeleton <laughs> in this like terrifying armor, like absolute badass um, enforcer. Does the drug uh, dealer maybe. turn out to be a coffin? <laughs> <laughs> the drug dealer is in that box, just destroy it. <laughs> um no it was a bit better than that um but anyway i recruited her and then she was uh, sure enough it was super cool to have a cloak as a secondary gadget because you can take the standard dead set cloak and they on they're on separate cooldowns so you can just like cloak almost all the time um and uh i used her to do the very mission that i recruited her from like the mission that i failed to get her i just thought well she's my best guy i'm gonna go in and uh and do it as her and so I get to the final chamber and uh, like, first of all, I work here. This is my job. <laughs> like, I should be able to walk all the way to the final piece of this mission because that's literally, not only do I work for this company, but literally my <laughs> post is that room that I'm trying to get to. <laughs> but that doesn't work that way, unfortunately. Uh, I do get the bonus for having an Albion uniform so I can slip past a lot of guards. But if I get too close, they get suspicious, which is very strange to me because I'm literally supposed to be here. This is my job. This is my shift. I'm supposed to be here now. You should be suspicious of me if I don't break into this facility because <laughs> I'm skiving off work if I don't come here. Um, anyway, I finally get to the, the final chamber and there's two guards there again. And the one closest to me is this um, is the same kind of elite that I took out last time that I don't really care about. And the one on the far side is an elite with a, their own personal cloak. So basically my replacement is there and they, they hired somebody with the exact same traits as me. <laughs> And so I got to have like a personal rivalry with this person. Like, okay, this time I will fucking stealth kill this person because uh, A, they took my job <laughs> and B, I don't need to recruit them anymore because I already have a recruit like this. <laughs> so yeah, you do have these little like, you go on these little personal uh, journeys with these recruits. You know, that was a, a very, not a very good story mission uh, and restrictive in some ways, but my personal investment in, in the person I encountered there 
totally changed how it worked, where my whole objective became to just recruit them, and I didn't mind if I died and lost the whole mission. Um, and then coming back there as that person and meeting the person who replaced me in my job was really funny. How's London? Um, it's quite cool. <laughs> uh, I, I, I kind of said this last week when we had the question about places and games. Um, it's definitely giving me more real world vibes than I've had from any other in-game video location, just because I know London better than, than the setting of any other uh, open world game I've played like this. Um, it's got a slightly weird vibe to it. I always find it slightly strange that they sort of chose to futurize things like the double-decker buses um, so that those don't really feel London-y. You know, they are a red double-decker bus, but they, they've been cyberized so much that it doesn't sort of have that feel to it. Um, I also lamented last week that they, the uh, London Underground is there just as a sort of icon on a map that fast travels you to other icons on the map. You never get to to ride it and sort of interact with the map and stuff, which would have been really nice if sort of made it feel more London-y. Um, but it is really nice just to like get to know areas of London. You know, the way you, when you play an open world game, you go between A and B enough, you get to know that whole area and you sort of develop a sense of direction. You kind of know um, when you're, uh, you need to cross the Thames and you, you know which bridge you need to take and how you to get up to that bridge because you're, um, uh, if you're going down the wrong street and you're too close to the Thames, you won't be able to cross it because you've got to go further inland to get up onto, you know, Tower Bridge or whatever. Um, I really like, if I'm going to be learning an open world, I like that I'm learning something about London while I'm doing it. Um, it's, I have mixed feelings about the whole revolution aspect. It's sort of, I feel like, broadly its heart is in the right place like this feels another thing where you i'm sort of gonna criticize them for trying <laughs> when actually it's good that they're trying and the fact that they didn't sort of make good on it 100 percent uh means that the conversation around it will be mostly critical whereas fucking gta 5 which has no aspirations for anything positive at all and it's just miserable hateful people being hateful <laughs> uh gets a pass because oh that's the genre it's gangsters yay um so i sort of i applaud it for for being a game about revolution and being anti-fascist in in its sentiment. But I, I frequently feel, I don't know, just uncharmed by it because it is so eager to tell me, yeah, we're fighting the power. This is the people rising up against the, the man. And so every time that that feels gamey and it feels um, uh, tropey and, and borrows, you know, uh, sci-fi um, cliches and all of that, I feel a bit uneasy about it um and yeah it kind of it falls flat uh on those times and it's sort of i guess it's just that when you borrow the the theming of revolution in a commercial product that is released to make profit <laughs> it's always a little bit of an uneasy thing and unless you're going to really sort of say something specific and meaningful um it feels a bit cheap and it's it's interesting it's an educational thing for me because i'm making a game that is going to have some themes of revolution. Um, and I will also, you know, like Watch Dogs, uh, the primary goal of my game is not to, you know, it, support a real world revolution or it's not a political goal. Um, it's to make a fun bit of entertainment uh, and sell it. <laughs> and so it's uh, informative to kind of see where, like what you can and can't do and where what, when it starts to feel uneasy in a, in a game like this. Hmm. Interesting. From uh, Ubisoft's depiction of England to 
Ubisoft's depiction of England. You've been playing Assassin's Creed Valhalla, haven't you, Tom Senior? Yeah, or Assassin's Creed Val- Van Halen, as I like to think of it, because it's <laughs> solid heavy metal Viking stuff. Uh, you play as Vikings in this one from Norway, and um, very early on in the game, the Vikings, uh, a sort of king emerges and decides that he owns all of Norway, and everyone just buggers off to England to invade it, uh, which is a gig- which gives rise to the amazing command, press triangle to raid, uh, which is a thing that <laughs> happens quite often as you're traveling throughout the world, and is extremely entertaining. Um, I, f- I think this is one of the best Assassin's Creed they've made since perhaps Brotherhood, for me. Um <clears throat> It still has, it's still Assassin's Creed, it still has like the foibles that Assassin's Creed has, but I think what they've done is they've stripped out or at least hidden a lot of the RPG elements and the sort of level gating and a lot of the things that I disliked about the last two games. Though I think that the world is not as sort of revelatory or glorious as ancient Egypt or ancient Greece. Um, I think Origins in particular, which is an extraordinary place to explore, uh, one of the best gaming worlds I've explored ever i think um but this is uh this is england <laughs> where where we're from and um it's weird to see it presented so in such like idyllic terms like it's it's absolutely gorgeous beautiful autumnal tones everywhere forests everywhere um the romans have obviously left the country so you, but you have all these beautiful crumbling Roman ruins before they eventually sort of sunk under the earth uh, to explore. And yeah, it's, it's kind of got me thinking about what our country actually used to be like, because um, apparently like, so this, this is a, this is England before we had uh, a kind of a massive agricultural uh, livestock economy. And apparently what happens when cows graze is that, they chew at the grass, but they also eat up the seed layer below the grass, which stops trees from growing. So what we actually see today in modern England, these bare kind of beautiful mountains, they should be forests like Germany. Um, and that's kind of what the game does actually represent. So I, I feel like I always get a bit of something educational from Assassin's Creed. And I think I've gotten something like that mm. from this. Um, and also I get to whack a man with an ax really fast <laughs> over and over again. Um, <laughs> and I'm a big fan of that. Uh, yeah. uh, so I've got the incredibly unconventional combination of an axe in the left hand and a flail in the right hand. And <laughs> what I desperately want to achieve is to have two flails. And they'll be like, so Tom, what's your combat style? My, my, my fighting style is poi. Uh, I've been to Glastonbury. I've seen them do it. But now, the, now the poi have spikes on them and they kill people. Um, uh, part of the rowing back from the uh, the RPG stuff is the fact that combat is much more like assassinations actually kill people for for example which eventually became an option you could turn on in previous games uh, but I think it's great that that's kind of default now uh, your power difference is well flagged and also not as punishing as in previous games so you, like if you hit someone with an axe about five times they're always going to die because that's that's how axes <laughs> work um, and that's that's a great relief the, uh, for me like the movement feels a lot sharper you don't you no longer have to hold two or three buttons down to free run and climb stuff you just press x and then just maneuver around or press circle to go down um there's just like hundreds and hundreds of little incremental improvements to the game feel of the thing and i hate the word game feel but the, the actual moment to moment way that movement and action feels is just 
way superior to the previous two games for me. Um, there's some stuff that like is a problem with it. I think Marsh, you've run into this stuff as well. In that, um, because you're a Viking, you're not terribly popular uh, around the world, especially not in England, which you've just invaded. Uh, so you tend to get attacked on the street a lot. But there's no way really early on of knowing like who's going to try and kill you or not. Um, there's a cloak you can wear, but I think a lot of the tooltips are a bit too hidden. I don't think the game teaches you some of the skills that you need to actually survive and traverse the world quite as well as it could have. Like the onboarding process is you get some fun missions, but you don't, yeah, it doesn't quite equip you with everything you need. Um, also, I haven't encountered any characters as good as, say, Cassandra from the last game. Mm. Um, and also uh, just the husband and wife pair in Origins, again, just a brilliant, unusual uh, you just never get married couples as main characters in games, and that was just a wonderful mm, dynamic. Yeah. Uh, does does um, Ivor improve over time? Uh, Ivor's the the character you play in in this game, and you have an option to play them as a male or female. But I assume their voice lines are much the same, regardless. And so far, sure. I've not escaped Norway yet. I haven't made it to England, but she's just a bit of a prick, really. Um, yeah, and you know, also, yeah, 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 I agree. He's uh, there's not much to him as well. Like mm. he's just sort of f- following along with his. His brother. It's just and vengeance brother's... and honor and and hard drinking, which is which is fine because that is obviously the Viking stereotype. But you don't. It's it's kind of shit to spend that amount of time with the Viking stereotype. It turns out. Whereas Cassandra, yeah. who was also, you know, plundering. She's um, yeah, yeah, but she, I mean, she, she was also evoking a lot of the kind of uh, braggadocio, braggad braggadliness yes, right. of um, <laughs> of of kind of the, the Greek heroes. But at the same time, she was much more personable, and she had a she had depth to her, and a you know there were lots of missions which exposed different sides to her. Whereas so far, it's just been pretty much one note, uh, you know, honor and Valhalla and vengeance. Um, yeah, and, and it's also there's also like um, a distinct lack of humor, which is what made yeah. Odyssey particularly good for me. Like Cassandra could throw a joke in, even though like she's dealing with like proper serious stuff. Um, and she's got some good really insults good though either <laughs> she got some gr- yeah that's true that's true um yeah and I, I do miss that i found all the characters a bit flat so far i played about five hours of it hmm. uh and who knows like more characters might emerge i do feel like Eivor or Ivor, can't remember how to pronounce their name but i do feel like he's one of the more boring protagonists in assassin's creed um and it seems sort of like with Assassin's Creed, it seems, it seems to go in shifts. Like, one game would be funny and great. Like, Black Flag was really funny and just really entertaining and has really great characters. Um, uh, Odyssey did, and now this one doesn't, and the one set in London didn't. So, I don't know, it just sort of goes back and forth, depending on, I don't know, the writing team that gets assigned to a particular project at Ubisoft. Mm. Uh, I just find it quite interesting. It, it's also, um, it is gorgeous, but <laughs> earlier on today, I was... Um, I was venturing into a tomb in Noble Tamworth, uh, which, <laughs> uh, as a man who uh, grew up in Birmingham and has been to Tamworth, there's nothing wrong with Tamworth. It's lovely, perfectly nice village. How are its tombs? Uh, are they good? Uh, no, t- no tombs there. But, the fact, but it was this glorious, sort of glowing, verdant <laughs> landscape. I was like, um, that's not Tamworth. <laughs> uh, maybe it was once upon a time, but I've, I, I've kind of. Uh, they've given England a massive glow up <laughs> to use modern parlance um, in a way that I feel is I enjoy moment to moment just wandering through the world, but I don't find convincing as someone from the country. Um, 
but yeah, I wonder what you th- oh, you're still in Norway, aren't you, Marsh? Yeah, I mean, uh, this was my um, my my fear of what they would do with the English landscape because all, all the the videos and screenshots I've seen is very much a kind of heightened landscape, and uh, all the buildings are just way bigger than they mm. were at the time. Like even things like bridges, you know, the bridges they've got right. are like four times the size of <laughs> bridges that would have existed then, which is fine. I'm not, you know, I'm not a, a, a bridge pedant. I am a bridge pedant, but the, <laughs> but, but also I think there is something sort of, uh, you know, inalienable about the landscape, which, which lends sort of a credence and also a feeling of mystery to, to the British Isles because it was this horrendous place yeah. <laughs> basically which no one wanted really for a long period of time and it was a place where the, the Romans came repeatedly lost their fucking minds and then fled <laughs> uh, you know because it's in the it's in the arse end of nowhere like that and little island is in the arse end of nowhere really isn't it and we don't really have any resources that they particularly want to mine <laughs> so it was almost conquering for the sake of conquering uh, at that point for the Roman Empire, I think. Uh, and yeah, the, the, this sort of, um, this game attempts to glorify the country in a way that I think is inaccurate, but I understand why they would do that to make a game yeah. look nice. I'm interested in the forests, though, because uh, uh, all the screenshots I've seen have n- notably not featured forests. But, you know, as you say, England was 25% forest back then, and they would have been really thick almost yeah. you know, as thick as the Amazon jungle kind of ancient forests of a kind that we know don't have today. Um, That's right. does, it, does it approach that at all? So the <laughs> I'm in uh, Leicestershire at the moment, and or like, uh, I mean, amusingly, they do actually accurately recreate a lot of the old names for these shires, and they uh, have about five times as many syllables as they do now. Uh, so I can't <laughs> pronounce it on this podcast. Uh, but yeah, there's there are forests there. I really hope they do proper... There's areas where there are proper massively thick forests because that that was... That is the... That's like... That's the environment that existed in that time uh, before, you know, industrialization and mass farming. Hmm. I have a, just a mechanical question. Um in Odyssey, you all of your gear that you um, that you accumulated and stuff, you had to basically choose. Did you want gear that was going to increase your assassin damage or your warrior damage or your hunter damage, which was bows, basically? Um, and so I, I was basically okay with the whole RPG leveling thing because it allowed me to specialize in assassination. So I just wore all my stuff was to boost my assassin damage. And that just raised the ceiling on how high a level a guy I could one shot stab. Mm. And I know they've changed something about mm. how assassination works. Is there, can have. you still like specialize in stealth in that way? You can. Uh, it's, so they've moved that onto uh, both the skill tree and the armor that you wear. So there are different classes of armor, like wolf is one bear is one i can't remember what the other one is raven. but they all represent the raven and they, they they all represent different specialties basically and one of them is stealth um i also quite like the fact it's got a very ambiguous skill tree hmm. so by which i mean um you can invest a bunch of skills in a node but you can't see all of the nodes that will result from that uh, huh. so you're kind of gambling on so i went for strength and then that opens a different node which opens a different ability and that that to me, that makes a game out of the skill tree in a way that, you know, I find quite interesting. And also, I love the fact that 
uh, they've tied a bunch of like special skills to discovery on the map. Um, so there are like wealth nodes, and some of them will just be money. But occasionally you'll find a scroll that gives you a whole new ability to stamp on a man's head or something, um, <laughs> which is literally my main go-to thing at the moment. Uh, what did the scroll say? <laughs> the scroll's like, just, Here's- just stamp on him. <laughs> <laughs> when enemy down, strike like Thor with foot, two face. One of the shortest sagas. <laughs> uh, that's great because um, I really enjoy the exploration in the game because it gives you an impression of the type of things you're going to get, but it's not until you actually reach the destination that you actually re- receive the reward. And the rewards are varied enough to always be exciting and interesting. Uh, so like that's why I keep pressing triangle to raid <laughs> because <laughs> I know there's probably something good in there. And even if it's just some coin or some ingots or something to uh, do some minor crafting, that's fine. But occasionally I'll find something awesome. And apparently like, Somewhere in the game, you can find Ex- Excalibur. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> wow. yeah, I'm going to play this game to find Excalibur. Like, I'm going to play, I'll play this as long as I have to to find that sword. <laughs> uh, so I just the, the sense of exploration, the sense of discovery, um, the beauty of the world, even though it is kind of like a bit weird as uh, someone from England playing through it. Uh, I think it's, it's just enormously su- successful. And it's mo- much more of an action game than the previous two games as well. I think it's much sharper in terms of countering, parrying, actually attacking, doing damage, um, even if your dual, war- dual wielding flails in uh, a poi style, which is my aspiration. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I have found Excalibur in both of the two roguelikes that I have been really into in the last <laughs> few months. <laughs> I maybe won't name them just in case it's considered spoilery, but... Hmm. <laughs> It's in both. So I'm happy to complete the trifecta. Yeah, it's Calibre in this one. It might be. I mean, I don't think it's going to be as good as Two Flails, but <laughs> there's only one way to find out. I've got Two Flails stuck in the stone. <laughs> should we do some questions? Yeah. I think we should. Yeah. That was a very... Big, weary that was a very... <laughs> That was, that was a middle energy. <laughs> yes. Hell yes, I meant to say. Hell yes. There you go. There you go. Uh, we have a question. Fuck yeah, let's answer these bad boys. <laughs> Our first bad boy um, is uh, <laughs> Ken to you. Ken to you. Is from Ken to you. Possibly Ken to uh, this is his uh, first time writing in, and English is not his native language, so he regrets this already, he says. Um, actually, the, 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 it's, it's a really good email, but it's quite long, so I am going to synopsize it, but it's not to do with your use of English, which is spot on. Um, he says, hi, CNC. I'm feeling a disconnect with the gaming community now, and this stems from the fact that Watch Dogs Legion um, didn't really uh, get the sort of uh, a, a rapturous reception that he thinks it should have done. He thinks it is uh, the first GTA clone where NPCs on the street really matter. But, he says, game reviewers uh, didn't really dig it uh, because of the gameplay-focused AI and systems-driven stuff in the game means that everybody gets this different experience and some people just don't get anything from it at all. And so, yes, uh, has that ever happened to you, that a game uh, excites you so much uh, despite a lukewarm reception from critics? Looking forward to hearing your thoughts. Um, best regards, Kenturu. So um, mm. 
I am the master at appreciating lukewarm things. <laughs> That's uh, <laughs> become my, uh, uh, that was my game journalist brand in a lot of ways. Um, so like stuff like Darksiders 2, I think like was, it's a 7 out of 10 game, but I, it's a 9 for me just because of the things I like and <laughs> the loot system and the combat system and, and stuff like that. Um, I think it's an interesting point um, about like the way that games are received and how they actually tint your uh, ability to appreciate stuff. So I think if I, I often think if I've read fewer reviews, I might enjoy games more. <laughs> I wonder what, you, wonder what you guys might think about that. I don't really read any reviews, and I'm still an absolute asshole. So uh, it, has, it hasn't helped me. Um, but I, I'm just interested in, in his his thought about how systemic games of this kind are a real dice roll because sometimes the mm-hmm. you know the the system just spits out. Uh, uh, a set of circumstances which certain players will just hate. Uh, <laughs> I, I wrote, um, I wrote about this for Edge uh, about XCOM, the new XCOM games. Oh yeah, um, where dice rolls are like particularly, you know, vital to your experience. Um, and if the dice rolls resolve as expected uh, or as anticipated by the player, then you have a good experience that's quite tense. Um, but if the dice rolls go against you every single time, which is quite possible, then you're going to have a very bad experience. And actually, one of the ways that uh, Fire Axis deals with this is to lie to the player <laughs> about <laughs> right. the, uh, the odds it actually uses when it's calculating these shots. Uh, and I think that particularly in chance-based games, um, this applies to card games as well, like in terms of what, what you get drawn, what you're allowed to mulligan. Um, you could just You could just get screwed over by the odds. You just can. Um, and if that happens consistently and you're at that end of the kind of bell curve, then yeah, the game's going to suck for you. Uh, so I think a lot of smart game designers guard against that with systems that let you re-roll, reload saves, or just lie to you about the odds and actually make the odds a bit more in your favor than you think. Yeah. I think this is relevant to um, the recent reception of Splunky 2 and Hades because... Mm. Um, Hades, one of the things that's interesting about Hades as a roguelike is it isn't that different each time you play it. Like the main thing that changes is what weapons, or what weapon you bring to it and also what upgrades you get offered. But the enemies are very similar each time and it doesn't feel like uh, you're going on a new adventure. Whereas the whole thing in Splunky 2 is it, the level itself is completely different the next time you play it. And the arrangement of the elements in the level, even if you're familiar with all the elements, them in this arrangement creates a new challenge. The actual challenge itself is different each time, which is great and exciting to me as a game designer but it does, especially with Splunky 2, where it's tuned very, very harsh. You have whole periods where um, I've just been completely kind of uh, oscillating on it, where I have weeks where I just hate it. I just like, I'm mm. playing it every day and I'm just every day and frustrated and just, oh, it's so, you know, uh, brutal and unfair at times. Um, and for a while, I, I was misinterpreting this as like me, oh, I've reached my limit. You know, I've played it too much and now I don't like it anymore or it's it's just actually fundamentally not that great and I've hit, I, I've, I'm hitting up against that. And then the next week, I have a load of good runs and I love it again. <laughs> and it's a, it's a brilliant game and I love it. And I, I've realized like, oh, this is just dice rolls. This is just what happens when, if I was literally just gambling at a casino, I would have weeks where I love gambling and weeks where I hate gambling. <laughs> and uh, I would remain addicted to it just as I do with Splunky 2 because it's basically dice rolls and i think that's also a part of why um it isn't as big a hit as hades hades is a massive mega hit and splunky mm. 2 i think it's done about as well as splunky 1 maybe a bit better uh and splunky 1 you know, you know it's it's absolutely um you know 
the holy grail for game designers. Game designers absolutely fucking love it, but it didn't catch the world on fire to quite the same extent as you know the mega hits for the time, uh, like Braid and Super Meat Boy and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and actually, Binding of Isaac is a better comparison because that is a roguelike, um, which is absolutely huge, like 10 times the size of Splunky by Steam reviews, at least. I think um, that sells perhaps as well. And yeah. And so, but yeah, and Hades, A, the runs aren't that different to each other, and B, there's persistent progression in it. So you just, you get better all the time because they're just by force, like the game just gives you points that make you literally better at the game than, uh, you know, more powerful than you were before. So everybody has an upward curve on it. Everybody is. Uh, the game gets a bit easier for them as they as they play and they get to feel like they're making progress and Splunky is merciless about no you get no help Splunky is the kind of game that would never lie to you about your percentages it's always just brutal it has to be exactly this percentage chance and and you'll um uh if the dice screw you the dice screw you and obviously it doesn't actually have like chances to hit or anything but just in terms of the the arrangements of of hazards it throws at you and when you whip an urn you know there's a chance it could be a fucking poison scorpion that just ends your run immediately and they're never gonna sugarcoat that like if the last urn was a poison scorpion i am pretty sure the chance of the next urn being a poison scorpion is the exact same fucking chance (laughs) like there's no code i don't think like gives you a break or has any mercy um yeah and i wonder if that's uh part of why splunky 2 hasn't um isn't as big as a game like hades or if, if just in general being a bit kinder and a bit more um, reliable is a better route uh, for commercial success, at least. I think there's th- this is a slightly different uh, tack, but actually there's a long history of uh, game designers creating the illusion of danger while actually protecting you from death. And um, one of the examples I can think of is uh, like Valve games, like the Half-Life 2 games, where um, they would intentionally very closely miss you because that was more exciting than actually getting hit and dying uh, past a certain point. And Call of Duty does this to an extent as well, where uh, I think enemies' accuracy gets lower the more you're injured. <laughs> so again, it's keeping you alive, it's keeping the, the, the process going while also creating tension. Do you think this yeah. is, uh, is, is, is true of Watch Dogs Legion? Um, it's not my experience of it, because uh, as I said earlier, my, a lot of my criticisms are about how similar the experience is no matter who you bring to the mission you know uh, part of my issue is a the missions themselves the, the main story missions ask you to remote control a drone and therefore it doesn't matter who who is remote controlling the drone um and then even on the open world missions you don't have to do it with the drone but i just found it was always better to do it with the drone no matter who i'd brought with me but it is true that there are some characters who are way more interesting than others um and uh if you get like a hitman character they have the gun carter skill which means that they can basically, in mechanical terms, it means you can do a melee takedown on anybody, even if they're already like aware of you and shooting at you. And in practical terms, um, uh, the way you do that is basically shooting at close range. So doing those sort of cool like John Wick style combo takedown things, where you sort of, uh, you know, it's a, a mix between like a judo throw and shooting them in the face. <laughs> um, and that, I remember seeing that in a video for Watchdogs and not and. I don't know, it left me cold for some reason in the video. And then when I got a character that could do that and I could just run into a restricted area and just run up to everybody and shoot them in a really stylish way, it felt awesome. <laughs> so if you don't get anyone like that, you miss out on that experience. So it is true. That's true to some extent. Um, but again, at my problem, another problem I had was that the best characters, those with those really cool, unique skills, were given to me by the game. If you conquer a certain area, you know, liberate a region of, of uh, London, there is a specific reward for that. Like this, you liberate this region, you get a hitman. They give you a hitman. 
and I was never finding those people you know organically I was just being given to them by the game for competing certain objectives and so I was inherently less attached to those characters um, because they've been granted to me automatically by some magic means you know it doesn't it's not even really narratively clear why conquering this region of London gets you a beekeeper with a magic like bee exploding <laughs> gun. <laughs> Hang on, that, what, that wasn't part of the mission I did to that does his that. gun explode bees yes because that would be a, he makes him a terrible <laughs> beekeeper that's literally the opposite Straight. of what he needs to do as a beekeeper <laughs> <laughs> let me find the the exact words because I did tweet it um it was something like it's called the energizer or something and uh no what's it called the overcharger uh causes a bee swarm to explode non-lethally <laughs> Not possible. So, as we say, exploding and dying. Uh, are, are just, <laughs> not, this is, it's explode or die. Therefore, exploding is not lethal. <laughs> um, so, and then the other confusing. This is a character that's. I mean, what the hell? Let's go deep on the beekeeper. <laughs> yeah, um, let's do it. This is a character that has many contradictions. <laughs> it's it's never explained to me at least what their job really is. Uh, they are wearing like a protective bee suit, which is makes them immune to shock damage because I guess it's also a Faraday cage for some reason. Uh, <laughs> their uh, special ability is to like this. This is not the overcharger, but their special ability is to like direct a swarm of bees at enemies. But they're like cyber bees. They're like metal nano bees, I think. Uh, and nano bees sounds like a fast food chain. <laughs> but uh, after you've sent the swarm at people, you then aim the overcharger at them, and that non-lethally explodes the bees. <laughs> is oh, hang on. So I think actually, I think the sentence it, it's a dangling modifier. Obviously, like it, I don't <laughs> think it's the bees that explode. But I don't think it's non-lethal to the bees. I think the bees are done for once they explode. But the but explosion they, they, they the create charge. is non-lethal to the target. They, they conduct yeah. a taser-like charge. <laughs> okay, we're sort of like headcanon trying to make this up in our own brains as to how this could possibly work. But it sounds <laughs> flipping stupid. Well, I, I, actually, you know, I'm, I'm fine with that. A, I'm fine with it. Sounds great. There's a, a not too terrible sci-fi concept underneath that, which is perhaps in this future all the bees are dead. So we've we've created miniature drones that pollinate plants <laughs> in their state that's literally literally a black mirror episode oh is it uh, <laughs> oh there you and, go and not uh, not a great that, one <laughs> that absolutely that absolutely does not mean that that isn't what watchdogs uh, legion's lore is because a lot of bits of watchdog feel like they just watched an episode of black mirror and like yeah let's put that in <laughs> yeah fair enough our next bad boy uh bad boy is a gender non-specific term i should uh, hasten to say um is uh, Mr. Wendell? <laughs> can it be? I don't know. Sorry. Um, <laughs> who writes in to say, uh, I'm enjoying text heavy Torment Numenera much more now that I've started taking quick breaks from it to play short bouts of arcade shmup action. I usually play one game exclusively until I'm done with it, but I think w- without breaks, I'd get burnt out on Torment. What games or genres do you find pair well together? Cheers from Mr. Wendell. I have not been pairing games specifically uh, in that way where I'm alternating between playing them, but I have been, um, when Crusader Kings 3 came out, uh, rather than play it myself, I watched my friends Jack and Cat play it uh, on their Twitch stream while I played Forza Horizon <laughs> because that was, it was like the, the sort of least thought engaging game and the most mentally taxing game. Uh, and I can do that simultaneously as long as someone else is playing the mentally taxing game and I just have to play the dumb one. <laughs> <laughs> I have exactly the same thing. So I've been um so uh Assassin's Creed uh, Van Halen has very long load times 
and uh, in the interim, I've been playing Crash Bandicoot on my Switch, um, which is just, <laughs> it's the most simplistic game, but it's just kind of a mind snack right. like, that replaces yeah. boredom, and it's just kind of, it's there for you, and it's fun, and it's colourful, um, and that's how I use a lot of these sort of side games. Yeah, I like, uh, I mean, I'm always playing Hunt Showdown in between whatever else I'm playing, so that that doesn't really count. That's I quite suppose. an intense choice. Sorry, it's not intense for me anymore. I just, uh, <laughs> it's like a nice walk in the woods to me now. <laughs> <laughs> Do you not get mown down by brutal strangers and well, feel anything? <laughs> no, I don't feel anything anymore. But um, no, I, I, can't, I, I can't really get to sleep in, unless I've seen like a disemboweled horse screaming. Oh, I hate those things. Yeah. <laughs> That's how I chill out. But uh, but also, I find that I I do like um, I do need some sort of vegetation sort of uh, game where I can perhaps watch television at the same time or listen to a podcast and yeah. uh, and then I, I play something like it's not necessarily a game that doesn't require uh, f- intelligence or forethought, but it's it's something which is distinctly non-verbal, like Noita or or Teardown. Actually, was really good for this. I found, which is great, by the way. I, I, I've I've completed it now, uh, mm. and I think it took me about oh, shit. thirty hours. So there's an awful lot of fucking stuff in well, in that um, early access thing, and it gets wild as well. Like you think it's going to be just a game about building, uh, you know, parkour routes. It's not at all. There's like helicopter gunships in it. <laughs> what? <laughs> There's escape sequences. There's all kinds of stuff. It's really, really um, mixes it up in interesting I ways and does this. really interesting uh, wow. ways of reinventing the existing levels that you've already you've already played. Anyway, it's really cool. I love it. Um, how many, roughly, how many actual areas are there? Uh, I can't remember now. Six, I think. It's, uh, but there's okay. also, or maybe, maybe I think it's I've five. been to like four of them, and I was just wondering how much more. Maybe it's five. I can't remember. But there's one that there's one there's one that you only you can't seem to access uh, from the sandbox mode. You can uh, you only play it once. Oh, uh, cool game. I can't wait to see what else they add to it. I think yeah, uh, this is just turning into teardown chat now. But. Uh, uh, in terms of t- extra tools, I think you should definitely have. I really want a lawnmower. <laughs> uh, and, uh, yes. Maybe something. The ultimate destruction. Or, or maybe a, a roller or something that just flattens yeah. stuff. Compacts it, maybe. Uh, what are those things? You see You see people doing it on tarmac where they're standing on this big sort of, looks like a drill, but it's just got a big square plate underneath it and just sort of compacts the tarmac beneath them. When a, mm, one yeah, of those, like, and then one. Jim Kerry playing as the mask gets flattened under it, and then sort of pops up again. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah steamroll the vehicle seems viable. Actually, you could do that. Did we have we answered that question? I feel like we sort of answered. We it. certainly went around yeah. in some circles. Is that as... <laughs> which is as good as we could hope to do in most of our podcasts? Ah. <laughs> uh... Someone who hasn't supplied a name says, uh, Dear apes and glowworms, last week, episode 347, a few of you expressed concern towards the representation of Africa in Far Cry 2, writing that it might just be a tourist's point of view. I'm here to put those fears to rest, in brackets, mostly. I'll spare you my life story, but I've been an African resident for the entirety of it. When Far Cry 2 came out, it was wonderfully exciting to get to murder people in my home continent for a change. 
And despite the different biomes being a tad too close to one another to be realistic, I welcomed the variety and was highly impressed by the feel of the environments. Hearing expletives being shouted at me in my native language was a real highlight. They did good Africa shooty bangs. My question, are there any other games that even attempt to use African bushveld as a setting? P.S. The malaria mechanic was total bullshit, <laughs> though. Uh, the, the... I love the me- malaria mechanic. Oh, do you? Why? <laughs> really? I think, uh, yeah, I love the malaria mechanic, and I love the guns breaking as well. Why, though? Is it... <laughs> Why? Well, let's get to the psychology of this before we answer the question. Because <laughs> it, uh, these are necessary... Comp- I, I have to say, the guns breaking is more fun than the malaria mechanic, but both of those things are there to uh, inject, basically, chaos into any plan. No plan that you have in Far Cry 2 survives any single encounter with the enemy. Because by the end of it, your gun breaks, you, you've probably set half the savannah on fire, <laughs> and uh, and there's like jeeps pouring over the horizon... Maybe you get out, maybe your car breaks down, and then you fall over from malaria in, into a pool of mud. And that's great. <laughs> that's what it's going to be argument. about. Never start a land war in Africa. Um, the only <laughs> other game I could think of off the top of my head is um, Metal Gear Solid Five. I don't think it's the same region that uh, the questioner describes, but you do like this strong open-world Africa segment there. Um, but I can't speak to how accurate it is to be shot or sworn at by people in that in that region uh, but i think that's worth a mention well one of the halos is set in mombasa huh. which is not uh, not as far south but uh, uh, obviously that is a highly accurate <laughs> depiction of uh, uh that uh, an underused Kenya. setting has to be said though i'm sure there might be more games yeah but, but, it yeah. is i do i didn't we we didn't say this last week, but I do think one of the kind of exonerating um, factors in in setting in Far Cry, uh, sorry, in setting it in Far Cry, <laughs> in setting it in Africa, only place was, for it really was that <laughs> was that it, it is just it was at that time especially com- just completely underexposed yeah. as as a setting in really media, um, hmm. uh, so it was really refreshing and interesting. Uh, I think. Meant in a noble way, uh, even if it comes across as maybe slightly patronizing in some senses. Mm. Tom writes to say, Dear CNC, in episode three of the Creighton Crowbar, it was revealed that Fez 2 had been cancelled, but nobody believed the Phil Fish tweet at the time. <laughs> Do you believe it now? <laughs> <laughs> Cheers, oh. Tom. Yeah, uh, fair play. It's not looking good for Fez 2, is it? <laughs> no, it's not. I don't think it's on the cards. No. <laughs> That was so long ago. <laughs> Episode three, my God. Yeah. That really what? takes me back. I don't... Why now? What, what's what's the cutoff point now that Tom thinks <laughs> has finally determined? I don't think there's a precise one. I mean, I think maybe when, for some reason, <laughs> this is a very stupid logic, but um, it's the moment he left Twitter. <laughs> what was the end? And I was like, okay, you don't really want to sort of promote your games anymore and you're probably not interested in making games anymore, which he explicitly said. Um and that, at that moment, sadly, the, the dream yeah. because Fez is wonderful. Although um, uh, I'm always sceptical when people quit Twitter. And uh, it, a more recent um, uh, example was Notch quitting Twitter. And as soon as he did, I thought I'd give it like two weeks before he's back. And yeah. in fair play, like two weeks later, he was not back, but he is back now. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't catch the moment, but I checked uh, in our break. And uh, yeah, he's back. He's back. It's like 
Nigel Farage, isn't it? It's just some sort of virus that keeps <laughs> back up over and over again, whether you want him to or not. Um, yeah, God, that was off topic. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's true. I know what you mean. Yep. Uh, uh, quitting Twitter dramatically is a form of self-promotion. That's certainly true. Yeah, and they're sort of the deep in the psyche of uh, of like rich men is to need to be on Twitter and need to talk on it constantly, <laughs> despite their many advantages and um, often poor opinions. And uh, on that note, I'm announcing that um, I, as a man on very much a median wage, am um, I'm quitting Twitter right now. It's, it's after this podcast. <laughs> it's gonna. It's all gone. It's all gone. And if you really? if you wow. want to bring me back, you're going to have to give me attention or money. I don't care which. <laughs> <laughs> Ideally both. <laughs> I'm not I'm not really. You can still find me on Twitter. It's fine. Oh, thank God. <laughs> Get my hot uh, Assassin's Creed takes, like uh, the one I tweeted earlier about how my favorite thing to do in Valhalla at the moment is to walk through uh, a fire in a hearth. Is that what's Hearth? And then... Uh, yeah, oh, hearth, I think. And then start a conversation with someone while my legs are still on fire. <laughs> <laughs> and I just watched the uh, the NPC completely fail to recognize the terror of that situation. <laughs> Very ah, the game. Viking hello. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> can I get, before, before we move on to the final question, can I ask you uh, about my hot uh, Ubisoft-related no, take, it. which is uh, that I th- I'm going to bet right now a, a total sum of zero money that um, are they going to be bought by Google? What to, to make to make exclusive games for Stadia? I will take that bet of zero. Um, because, <laughs> because why? <laughs> <laughs> well, because I, I well for one thing the um, Ubis, the Ubisoft Plus thing, uh, which I've subscribed to actually, so that I can play both Watch Dogs and um, Valhalla. For the princely sum of thirteen pounds, and then cancel the subscription next month. Nice. Um, that doesn't seem to be sustainable. <laughs> no, <laughs> for that reason, no. um, I can't see a reason that Ubisoft would do it. They just don't have a deep enough catalogue for that to to continue funding them making the same sort of games. Hmm. Maybe they end up switching to a different sort of games, or maybe we just don't. Maybe they've got a much healthier attach rate for DLC and cosmetics than we see. Hmm. Maybe, but I suspect that um, allowing people to play their two of their big tentpole franchises for thirteen pounds probably isn't isn't gonna gonna keep the lights on. At the same time, they have. I mean, this is not not a particular sign of anything, but I mean, they have um, signed up to make uh, Ubisoft Plus part of the Stadia package. Um, I can't remember the exact arrangement there, but they're. They're obviously talking. The two companies are obviously talking, um, and it would be useful for Google to have some sort of reason for anybody to play Stadia yeah, stuff. It's gone terribly, um, hasn't it? Like, it seems, it seems to have died in the water, doesn't it? Like, well, some people uh, from our own Discord have, have said that they've been given complimentary uh, access uh, as a result of being YouTube subscribers, um, right? Okay, which they do in order to get you know to because they have a. F- uh, no, no, I don't think that's the reason. I think they they have family accounts on YouTube so that their kids can watch it without getting bombarded by adverts. Oh, that's a much more um, reasonable explanation. <laughs> so I think all of these things, these different facts together, may you know, could could result in no 
No, you're not buying it. I think um, it <laughs> this might be another uh, this might be another Fez two prediction moment um, that <laughs> in five years time might come back to bite us. But the great thing about making these predictions is if it comes right, you, you will be treated as a kind of god sage, <laughs> and, uh, and we will we will celebrate that on this podcast to the maximum. Come on, Eve, make it happen. I need the ego boost. <laughs> I'll make never it, leave Twitter. Um, then I'll be insufferable. <laughs> What an incentive. <laughs> uh, make it even more uncanny by guessing how much it will sell for. Ooh. Oh. I mean, given that Codemasters went for nearly a billion, which is somehow. ridiculous. Somehow. Yeah. <laughs> how many Codemasters is one Ubisoft? <laughs> oh, it's got to be a lot. It's, it's got to be a lot, be... isn't it? More than 10. Yeah. How much did Microsoft buy Bethesda really? for? Good question. I'm going to Google it. I can't remember. 7.5 billion. Then it's definitely more than that, because I thought that I was quite so. a good deal for Microsoft. Yeah, uh, it's uh, got to be more than that for Ubisoft, right? You would think so. Let's um, let's call them up and negotiate the deal ourselves and take a sweet 10% uh, of the result. <laughs> and then retire the podcast. This conference call, Google and Ubisoft, and just <laughs> yeah. say, hey guys, I've got guys. an idea you probably haven't thought of. <laughs> <laughs> we can make this happen. Uh, are we qualified to do it? No. Are we determined? Yes. Why? Because we like money. Uh, and then with that 10%, we will fund the development of Fez 2. <laughs> yes, quite right. We'll bring Philfish <laughs> out of retirement. I think, I, 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 I think of um, Philfish as like, like Zarathustra, kind of like on a mountain top in a cave, <laughs> waiting to be brought down back into society to produce great things. Uh, and if we can make that happen, then that's a good mission. If you're wondering how I got that that seven billion figure so quickly, um, it's because I typed in "my crooft by Behesda." <laughs> <laughs> um, Google is just that good these days. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, yeah, no, you, mean, you misspell all of the words, but <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Live facts on air <laughs> that we should probably have known beforehand, but you know, so so these things go. Is that all the questions we have? No, we've got one more. Oh, sweet. Uh, it's from another Tom. Uh, <laughs> one of the many so Toms many. that we've had on this podcast. So many. <laughs> Hi all, he says. Uh, a few weeks ago, Manifold Garden was being discussed, and it was mentioned that Piranesi was a great companion piece for the game. I've since completed both and wholeheartedly agree to the extent that I feel like reading and playing them both at the same time. Um, <laughs> oh no, that's not how the sentence goes. <laughs> 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 to the extent that I feel like reading and playing them both at the same time heightened both experiences. He wasn't literally reading them both at the same time. That's impossible. That's a disappointment. Anyway, um, this brings me to my question. What other combinations of game and book or other medium do you think would complement each other well? Another pairing question. Mm. Um, I do have one for this, though, which is that um, at the time uh, or recently after the return of the Oberdin. Uh, was released. I read uh, the Seven Deaths of Evelyn Hardcastle, which is a oh, yeah. uh, time bending murder mystery by a guy called Stuart Turton. Um, it's it's a real romp. Uh, it's really good, but it, it it feels twisty and convoluted and uh, brilliant in the in the same way that Obradin does. But Stuart Turton not. Not content with that comparison, has just released uh, uh, a murder mystery set on a fucking boat, 
So there you yeah. go. It couldn't be even more. It's called <laughs> Devil in the Dark Sea. Uh, I've just finished it. It's also very good. Uh, I, I recommend it. It's a lot of fun. I would um, pair Perdido Street Station by a Ooh. China Mievel with uh, Anachronox. Um, <laughs> okay. Oh, yeah. yeah, so uh, Perdido Street Station is like quite a serious novel set in a futuristic city. Uh, uh, it's about multiculturalism and interaction between different species and that kind of stuff. Uh, while uh, Anachronox is a game about uh, meeting the most absurd companions in the universe that you could possibly find and making friends with them. And I feel like there's a through line there somewhere. And I might be wrong, but that's my recommendation. <laughs> and I stamp <laughs> Excellent. it. I, so I just want an excuse to talk about the Mistborn books. So I'm going to randomly pair them with uh, Dishonored, I think. Um, not entirely randomly because both are uh, sort of fantasy dystopias with a very sort of um, uh, dark world. Um, but actually, the main reason I want to mention Mistborn is it's a book that is a book series that is uh, crying out to be made into a game um, mm. because the, the whole reason I got into it actually is because people kept saying how good the magic system in it is and how sort of it's one of those systemy systems where the th author actually has a sort of logic for how it works and will will adhere to that in the in the book which i'm an absolute sucker for um and yeah i can't believe it hasn't been made into a game because um it's a the magic in it is uh, achieved by burning metals only certain people can do this and most people who can do it can only burn one type of metal and that only gives them one ability so if you burn tin it enhances your senses if you burn pewter it um enhances your strength and by burn you have to swallow them first and then your body burns them like um the way i think that i think in real life your body burns iron right uh, it can like that's a um the chemical reaction that breaks it down is uh, is like a very slow burning process i think we um, should check that with the doctor and <laughs> <laughs> don't 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 swallow iron on my account but, <laughs> but i'm fairly sure that's how it works uh but anyway it, like in the book there are scenes of people for example burning like steel to fling themselves steel is almost like a magnet thing you can sort of push yourself against metal objects if you're burning steel um and burning these these letter metals uh in the in the service of doing like a raid at night to steal some atium which is a, a another metal which that's the really precious one because when you burn that you can see the future a little bit and the idea of having each of these individual resource pools and having to manage those and use your abilities wisely and, and sort of switch up which abilities you're using to make sure yeah. you don't run out of any one resource until you can acquire this other more precious resource that you then use to pull off an even more you know ambitious heist is so gamey and so like rich for a game system god yeah that that's that's absolutely perfect for that it reminds me weirdly again of like avatar the last airbender as a a system like it's unfortunate that it was called bending um because it undersells <laughs> yes. uh the powers that uh, each sort of class of warrior has in that game and uh, i mean many attempts have been made to adapt that in films horribly um <laughs> and uh but it feels like it's a good game in there as well to be honest yeah mm. tom also asked for generic book recommendations if you have any such things uh, I'm rereading June as always. I'm sort of always re like rereading that book, and it's so weird that <laughs> you know the the old adage like show don't tell. Uh, mm. The way that Herbert <laughs> writes is the absolute opposite of that. 
Like yes. he literally puts you in the heads of every single character in the scene and in italics tells you exactly what they're thinking, uh, which is a very strange way of writing. But I still find the world he creates to be fascinating, even though I've fallen out of love with his actual writing on rebeats, I would say. I uh, recommend uh, a collection of short stories by Ted Chiang um, called Exhalation. And it's there are some uh, stories in that that are, I don't know, all of them are kind of interesting. All of them have an interesting concept. It's very high concept sci-fi of like, you know, what if there was a world where this was the case? Um, but the opening one, the very first story is about time travel, um, uh, sort of through the filter of Arabian Nights. And it's really, really good. It's just one of the best short stories I've ever read. Just completely gripped me. Um uh, from the word go, it has a kind of nested structure where in the middle of this story, um, uh, the narrator recounts telling a story to somebody else. And um, each time that happens, I found myself completely like um, uh, so eager to hear the next story and to delve into some new um, uh, new diversion, digression. And its treatment of time travel is really cool, I think. It, it has a different twist on it and there's some commentary from um from ted between the stories explaining it and he said one of the things he wanted to do was uh tell a, a time travel story where you can't change the past that's a often a a constraint that time travel stories already do but he says that often those stories are kind of um depressing it's sort of like a you know you can't make things better mm-hmm. sort of message and he was interested in writing a story where you can't change the past but take take a kind of positive and very wistful spin on it it's quite sad as well but it has a kind of uh <coughs> quite a warm ending i really like that sounds great yeah it does sound good Uh, he's the author of the book that um uh damn it it's a novella called story of your life and there was a sci-fi movie based on it. arrival uh, Ah. based on his book i've also uh, been rereading from hell which is uh, a very long graphic novel um that's fantastic it's absolutely fantastic uh written by alan moore uh, with absolutely gorgeous line art from uh, Eddie Campbell, and uh, the way it it's in- so dirty, inter- yeah, yeah, the way it interweaves like the way it imagines <laughs> culture at that time, but also interweaves mythology, history, uh, with the kind of uh, with the story of Jack the Ripper is uh, exceptional and just like something that I can't stop rereading because I always get something new out of it. Uh, yeah, that's a splendid graphic novel. It's what's so good about that is that he, uh, the the story itself is is a is a fantasy as yes. much as it is a historic um, fiction. But at the end, uh, because he's obviously done his research, absolutely, there is just probably the best uh, and also fully illustrated um, analysis of all the facts of the case <laughs> as they stand. Yeah, um, and, I find and that- a, a history essentially of Jack the Ripper histories, uh, which is yeah incredible. And, and uh, Animal calls Jack the Ripper a, a superposition, which is basically like uh, I think he means almost like a meme that exists throughout history and changes according to the cultural uh, tendencies of the time. Um, and that's kind of what he examines in From Hell when uh, Jack the Ripper or the person who he supposes to be Jack the Ripper, travels through time almost and sees the future and sees uh, even further into the future and kind of gains a kind of catharsis through his terrible murderous habits. Um, it's just it's just brilliant. It's just brilliant. And it's, I think there is a movie, but I think it's unfilmable. Like, I think you can't do this. 
like exists in this medium and it's obsessively done uh in nine panel pages that uh which is absolutely maniacal <laughs> it must have been really stressful for <laughs> eddie campbell to actually realize this and um sort of a, a very early spread uh of the guy who he supposes is jack the ripper encounters his first dead body and closes his eyes while his parents are chatting in the background it's just a what a thing to draw what a thing to put in a graphic novel um this really kind of deep formative moment uh yeah i, I yeah i can't recommend it enough it's very very good there's lots more to discover um yeah but do buy it it's great it's also incredibly violent <laughs> as you'd well, expect yeah. i mean it would have to be but um they don't shy away from that which also i think is kind of does show respect for the history because a lot of the time jack the ripper is a kind of like a joke villain yeah um, it doesn't should... ever become salacious or no, kind of no. brilliant and i think the art is really part of that because it is this it, like i say it feels dirty but it, i mean it's this really kind of unglamorous it, the art's really good but it obviously has this sort of aesthetic style which makes it feel quite unglamorous very scratchy it's yeah um, scratchy is exactly the word i was reaching for yeah that's exactly what it's like um yeah. and and also yeah um i think that the story does more respect to the victims of the actual criminal than most do even though it can be fantastical at points um so yeah i think yeah i think it's just a, a masterful graphic comic don't have got better than watchman i think uh, I agree with that. I agree. <laughs> Love the Watchmen TV series, though. That was really fun. We're gonna we're gonna yeah. hear somebody uh, discussing the ins and outs of that at, uh, at oh, some th- point. I think uh, there might be a film and television podcast coming up in our feeds in the next few weeks that where uh, Jamie Britton, uh, writer of Skins, and I uh, probably go over it and uh, the way that, frankly, he introduced me to a part of American history that I never knew existed, um, the Tulsa massacre, and the way that kind of. They also mix that with surreal and consistently surprising uh, twists and turns throughout the series. Uh, but uh, Jamie has some problems with it, and I can't wait to argue with him. Uh, so <laughs> look out for that in the next <laughs> few weeks. Um, the second episode is basically is edited and is basically ready to go up. Just need to do the show notes. So that this week or soon <laughs> is, <laughs> is when is when that will go up, um, in which we talk about uh, marriage story and other rom coms and loads of. Uh, classic British TV series. So yeah, look out for that in your pod feeds. Well, those were all the questions we had time for. If you'd like to send us a question, you can send them to questions at creatingcrowbar.com or you can tweet us at creatingcrowbar. Uh, you can check out these recordings as videos on YouTube and you can find other stuff there by us, which is youtube.com slash creatingcrowbar. Our Patreon uh, where you can send us money is patreon.com slash crowbar, And our Discord community is really, really nice. Uh, and you can find the link for that on our website, crowbar.com. That's it. I've been Marsh Davis. I'm now going to dodge roll in a comical way <laughs> into bed. <laughs> <laughs> I've, been, uh, I've been Tom Senior, and likewise, I will do that. Um, I need to change my Twitter handle because I've left my old job and I can't, uh, therefore be referred to as pcg ludo probably be just i don't know we'll see we'll see <laughs> i've been tom francis i'm pentadact on twitter and i'm not going to dodge roll into bed because it's 3 p.m where i am <laughs> <laughs> dodge roll into the bar <laughs> <laughs> i was going to dodge roll into my desk and do some work actually <laughs> uh, that's, that's actually sensible 
<laughs> Thanks for listening, everybody. Thanks for listening, everybody. We can't time it over the, this call. That's trouble. Like, <laughs> yeah, I'll just pretend that was all lag and it wasn't my slow reactions. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Three, three two, two. Oh, God damn it. One. That's everybody. Yep. Flawless. That'll do. It's all flawless. Nailed it. Staying in. Cool. <laughs>